I'm Jess. And I'm George. And I am apparently the lawyer friend. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens between them. And even after two years, you still have to read that. Yes, but especially that's... lately. We have another guest. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Who has a brand new penis. Of sorts, yes. And if she says something you don't want her to say it that way, just say, don't say it that way. I don't prefer say you say, no. yeah, and then just tell her because she does. Because I, I, I have say, no filter if you, you know haven't the, noticed no, that's, this yet. That's, you already know this woman. She'll right. say anything. No, and, that, and that's fine. It's uh, we'll, we'll talk about a lot about my penis, I guess, going on and how good or not it is. Yes. Because there are, there are upsides and downsides. That's for damn sure. Well, yes, now it has an upside and a downside. Not as much as... I would have liked. Too bad which they is can't. One of the downsides. <laughs> too bad they can't see you waving your hand up and down on the. <laughs> since this is a podcast. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So yes, you did get your genitals reconstructed. Yes, I did. But are we starting there? I can flash back to the first, not reconstruction, but first surgery, I guess, which happened before I even decided to transition or really was serious about it, and that was uh, having a hysterectomy. And because I was having all kinds of problems anyway. And so fortunately for that, it was covered by insurance and all of that for me. And it was in many ways, that truly was a godsend because it ended all of the problems that I was having that was making life a lot more difficult than it needed to be. Mm -hmm. By the same token, it probably delayed my transition actually, because it took care of so many problems that the urgency wasn't as immediate. Right. And to clarify for our friends, your problems were primarily with issues around menstruation. Not, pretty, pretty much constantly. Not actually yeah. being a menstruation, but just a... It was the, I mean, there it was, was a, no period to it. Well, the, yeah, the period was that it was constant. There was no end to it. And that was the major problem. And so, you know, not only the problem of having to deal with that day-to-day issue, but you start getting anemic, you start having, you know, other issues on top of it. And... Not to mention, for me, there was a lot of anxiety about, you know, oh my God, you know, I'm ruining clothes every day. I'm at work. I'm in the middle of an important meeting. You know, this just can't be happening. Like, this is just right. not workable. And so having that took care of what you had perceived to be your problems with your then perceived as female body at the time. Exactly. And the other thing is, in some ways, you, you wonder... Did I choose the right profession? Because I think, yes, I did. At the time, though, you know, obviously part of being a lawyer is that you have to dress nice. You have to dress the part, which was always extremely uncomfortable to me from the very beginning. Dressing in professional... Female professional clothes. It was funny because I spent a couple of years, but years after the fact, I found an article that I wrote for a school paper all about female clothes and how bad they sucked and how ridiculous they were. <laughs> And so forth and so on. While you wrote this while you were still presenting as female. When I was in college, correct. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so it, it was kind of funny because I'd completely forgotten about it until I rediscovered it. But but anyhow, that so that was always a, a major problem for me. And of course, having to dress and present that way and all of that every day of my professional life, you know, it takes a certain... Was that toll. because outside of work, you didn't have to deal with female clothes? Exactly. Put on jeans and a t-shirt. It was all good. Exactly. So it was literally the five minute less than that change Mm -hmm. when I get home. But you were forced into a highlight of your gender role 
and the gender that basically you felt forced into, even more so by the wardrobe. Exactly. So that was eight hours plus a day, every day, or five days a week, anyway. In distinctively feminine clothing. Well, exactly. you also have to go buy the clothes, and then you have to like take care of them, and then you have to pick them out. And... So it's not just the time you're wearing them, it's all the extra time interacting mm-hmm. with them to take care of them as a professional wardrobe. And of course, I, I will admit that, especially then, I'm not much better now, honestly, is I had about three outfits. I didn't even have a week's worth of outfits, and I wore one of the three every day mm-hmm. and probably didn't go to the dry cleaner nearly as much as I should have. <laughs> and it was a very kind of standardized. I didn't put a lot of time and effort into the picking them, cleaning them, or even wearing them for that matter. Mm-hmm. So it was a uh, pretty minimal effort in that part. And apparently some people noticed. I didn't, people didn't tell me that until after my transition. Aww. They were too polite to say so yeah. at the time. Uh, I did have a colleague at one time offer to take me to a makeup class and <laughs> a, and a clothing fashion thing, which at the time I didn't really think anything of, but now looking back on it, I perceived it as you're great in your job and all of that stuff. But if you would do a little better with your appearance, would help things along right. a little bit. They weren't throwing you in the back of a windowless van and doing a makeover for you, but it wasn't quite they were that considering bad. It. They right. were probably considering it, and <laughs> you know, which is fascinating from a sociological standpoint is that pressure to not just be a good lawyer, but to look feminine and look attractive mm-hmm. all the time. It's not good enough just to be good at your job. Mm-hmm. And so there's that kind of ongoing pressure the entire time, which fortunately I was fairly ignorant and immune to. Mm-hmm. Oblivious, perhaps, is a better <laughs> description. Yes, I, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, just can attest to that. Sounds, yeah, sounds well, right. It, yeah. Sounds fair, too. So the straw that broke the camel's back, and I've told you this story before, was uh, I ended up going to my parents' house, I think, in the middle of the workday or something, or, or just after work. And in any event, I was still in my work clothes, which was extremely unusual. Uh-huh. They almost never saw me in my work clothes. And my mom and my sister were there. And my sister made a, a remark along the lines of, well, you look so nice in your work clothes. And if you would just dress like that all of the time, you would have no problem getting a boyfriend and having relationships. And at this point, and you had been that, single your entire life and you were in your mid-20s. and Exactly. And, and at that point, I just, something clicked in my brain. And I said, no. Absolutely not. That's not my life. That's not how it's going to be. And I'm not going to do that. And that's when I really decided that I basically wanted to transition because honestly, before that, it was something I'd kind of heard about before. It was kind of in the back of my mind, but I never really investigated or learned. There was still a little bit of that, you know, well, that's crazy. Only crazy people do that. That's extreme. I'm not, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. And we're all those people here. We're all those people. And I'm one of those people now. And thank God I am because life is so much better. Isn't it? But how much time was there in between the relief from your hysterectomy sort of taking all that pressure off of you and this light going on of, oh, no, I, I'm not doing this. This um, is not my life. I need to fix this. It was about a year or two. It wasn't that long because it was after that kind of flip the switch sort of moment. I, I did tell myself, I said, well, I'm not going to do, because at first, you know, I kind of made the decision. I was all fired up and excited about it mm-hmm. at the beginning. And I told myself, I'm not going to do anything for a year. This is a big deal. I'm not going to rush into it and go crazy. So I thought, you know, I'm not going to rush into it. I'm going to take plenty of time and I'm going to research things and make sure that this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so then I was 30 years old when I started my transition. So 
that must have been right before that. You were 29 when you had started to socially transition because that's when we were hanging out. Yeah, that's that's correct because I started to do things that didn't involve surgery or hormones or anything. Mm-hmm. And so that part of that's, you know, the so-called real life test and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I kind of started doing that sort of thing mm-hmm. socially, like you said, before doing anything medically. You got involved in new social groups presented yourself as male, which thankfully you were able to do. You had like no chest and no hips and you're a fairly muscular guy already because you were an archer. And so you had the triangle shape already. I was very fortunate in that regard that I've been quote unquote mistaken as a boy almost all my life, well into adulthood anyway. Right. So it wasn't that hard, honestly, to do that. You you bought a one size too small sports bra and you were good to go. Pretty much. I'm so terribly in, jealous. Yeah, in, so, in some ways, I'm I'm very very lucky in in that respect. So that made it a lot a lot easier. I I had that experience of being seen as a boy until I was around thirty early thirties, but I didn't have the muscles from the archery. No, but I have my dad's small shoulders. So you still had the small chest and the masculine walk and the yeah. I was always served. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and until you talk. Until mm. you talk, right? And Until long, you talk. And as long as you don't, I remember I went to Ross or Marshall's or someplace like that one time and I went to go try on some clothes and I had a beanie hat on and, you know, a sweatshirt like I always wear. And lady gave me this evil eye look and she said, the men's room is over there. And I was like, I didn't say anything because I knew once I said something, then it would be lost. And I just walked over there. I thought, okay, wonderful. That's totally great. But I did have to remind myself not to say anything. Or mm-hmm. Yeah, I get taken for sure on the phone. I don't get taken for sure in person. Probably taken for sure in the drive through too. Probably. If they're so busy, they don't care if you're sir or not. No. But she orders a coffee. It, Our listeners have heard this all the time, but she has the man voice. The man voice. I'll have a... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you've helped me with my man voice before. Yes, as a vocal coach, I do that. In fact, I don't have any underage students anymore. All of my clients in the past two or three years have been transgender adults. I have no youths in my studio anymore. No youths? No youths. No youths. (laughs) But so you did transition socially, and then that was when you and I first started hanging out. And how did we meet? Go Craigslist. (laughs) <laughs> you had me at the Turing test. <laughs> yeah, geeky dating, it's what it is. <laughs> I, I had a Craigslist ad that said something along, one of the sentences was something along the lines of, if you can pass the Turing test, then we might be able to hang out. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember. You know, people list the criteria that yes, they want they somebody do. to meet. So she had several criteria, and the last one is, and you must pass the Turing test. <laughs> And so that that's, that cut that's your what, attention. That's what got it right for me. You know, I win. You win. So yeah. So that kind of started the the social transition, doing all of that, and I wanted to make sure that I that this was the right decision and all that. So before I did anything, I let it sit and percolate for a year, do some of these other things, and right. all of that was seeming to work out all right. The only issue I had is everybody thought I was substantially younger than I was. Yep. Which caused some of its own interesting. Oh, yes. Tell us about the time you went into court and then what they said after. <laughs> that was uh, that was actually after my 
After you had had top surgery and My you transition, transitioned to work. I showed up in, in court and the court reporter said, or where's Mr. So-and-so from such a, such a firm? And she said, are you the, are you the intern? And I said, <laughs> no, I am Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> and she kind of looked at me funny and she, okay. And she wrote it down on there. <laughs> but, yeah, she thought for sure I was the summer intern uh-huh. or something. That's and great. And was that the same lady who, after you had, you know, given your arguments, said, man, oh, that it was, was a, so... I forgot about that. That was a different time. Okay. That was my first oral argument after transition. So how many Actually, months that, on T were you then? Not that many. Like five, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His yeah. voice took forever to change. Well, not only that, but you do, you look like a very young guy when you're about five months. Yeah, you, know? you start yeah. getting the baby fat and the, yeah, the chubby... Yeah, so it was, yeah, because I hadn't been on TV very, very long. And one of the things, that was actually my first oral argument ever. And so I wanted to transition officially, quote unquote, before then. Because you didn't want anything on record with. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, so it was a little bit, it was early in the transition. And so, yeah, I went and I gave my spiel and all of that. And, you know, that night my colleagues are buying me beers at the bar because that's what we do after your first oral argument. And the court room administrator came up to me and she said, hey, you did a really great job on your argument today. I was very impressed. And I was thinking, all right, well, thank you very much. She said, it was awesome to see a 12-year-old just kick that guy's ass. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, oh, oh, (laughs) thanks. I think you're doing at the bar. (laughs) Yeah. She probably was wondering that I was even old enough to drink, I guess. But it's, uh, yeah, that was a... That is too funny. So that, that's happened, obviously, a couple times that people, uh, you know, I had another guy. I went to an event with some friends and I was driving my truck, pulling my friend's trailer of all of his crap that he brings to these events. And I had some guy stop me in the parking lot and demand to know where my dad was and wanted to know if I, he knew that I was driving his truck with his trailer. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you know, 30... 30 two years old at the time and it's my own damn truck <laughs> yes it's his busted trailer but those things it's not your dad's busted trailer yeah so now it's i have to say i went and bought some beer before i came over here tonight and they didn't ask me for my id and i was very upset so that doesn't last forever no, no. it doesn't last forever you have a couple no. year window and then it all goes away yeah, yeah and you and i are the same age so yeah. at that point you know you're transitioning and you actually had gotten your top surgery before you started tea. Exactly. That, which is kind of, I guess, unconventional, but I had read some stuff and the surgeon that I was going to was not real familiar with transgender patients. And he wasn't real comfortable with me being on hormones and stuff like that when he was doing the surgery. And he'd never, he had done similar surgeries before, but I don't think he'd ever treated a transgender patient before. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to kind of just do what he was used to. So he asked that I not start the hormones and all of that, which I was fine with. It was no big deal to mm-hmm. me. And so uh, I had the surgery with him. He, I, One of the reasons I went to him is because he's known as being an absolute perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And I know he consulted with several other surgeons before he did this. And the surgery took about seven or seven and a half hours. It was a long That's long a perfectionist. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, mine was nothing like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's, not, it's not 100% perfect. But I'm very happy with the results. I think he did a fantastic job. I have, you look good. Thank you. I have full feeling everywhere. I have almost no scars at all. It looks. That's the benefit of having almost lucky. no chest beforehand. And yeah. So, and yes. So that's obviously another area where I got very lucky to begin with. 
Yeah. So that, that helped a lot. And I wanted him to do a revision on, or I thought about doing a revision on the nipples just to make them a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after a while, I decided, you know, it's really not that big of a deal or not humongous or weird or anything. And so I just decided once was enough on that. Mm-hmm. And so I was very happy with how that turned out. And then it was about a, a month after that, that I started tea. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point, you and I were dating. And so I was aware of your concerns about all these things. And I had asked, you know, what are your plans for lower surgery? And at that point, you didn't have any. Right. At that point, I wasn't sure because really the, the hysterectomy took care of so many of the everyday sort of practical problems mm-hmm. that it wasn't a big pressing concern. You know, as time went on and I was auntie and started to get more of the physical changes and all that. And it was about like three or four months after I started tea that I you know, did the quote unquote official transition where I you came out at work, came out you, at work yeah. and started living full time as male. And that was an interesting, because obviously I did all of this at the same firm where mm-hmm. I had already been for several years. Yes. And we've mentioned this in passing before George and I, that you had done this at hunting season, you sent out the email and then ran away. Exactly. And that, you know, in some ways, uh, maybe that was a cowardly way to do it. On the other hand, I think it gave me some space and it also gave my coworker some space mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to kind of process it without us being in each other's faces right away. Yep. So as far as I know, it, it all worked out. It was kind of funny how that happened because basically what I did is I wrote a office-wide email, which I worked with HR on putting together and making sure they knew what was happening ahead of time. And they vetted the whole thing and all of that. And we had this whole schedule figured out. And IT had changed my name on my email and the whole spiel and blah, blah, blah. And they sent out the email and then I left to be gone for a week. And then like the day I left, somebody filed a preliminary injunction, temporary restraining order action against one of my clients. And I was out in the middle of nowhere and Somebody calls your cell phone and says, you uh, need to get back here. Was able to get a message on my cell phone. And I was actually, what happened is I ended up getting my deer the second day of season. So I was on my way back, which was fortunate because otherwise I don't have cell phone service. Yeah. Get this message that I have to be in court that Friday. Mm. And so it was, and I have to travel to where it was. It wasn't Mm -hmm. my local court. So it was, that was a very interesting. So it's kind of like ready, set, go. And I didn't really get my. You didn't get any time off or, or, time or, or anything nope. else. And <laughs> so in some ways it was good, I think, actually, in retrospect, because everything's so busy with just doing your normal job mm-hmm. that you don't have time to worry about anything else. Right. Really. Uh, so that, so how many suits do you own now, just out of curiosity? Um, I've got rid of some of them because early on in the process, I got some that I should never have bought. <laughs> the best thing I ever did is I finally gave up on buying these different suits and I got my tax return, which I think was about 1500 or uh-huh. 1800 bucks or something. And I drove to Brooks Brothers, which is a drive. It's a ways away. It's a couple yeah, hours. Yeah, we, we live in the middle of nowhere. We know this. So it was a big deal. And I made an appointment. I called them ahead of time and I said, I think these are my measurements and I'm going to be there on Saturday. And I want an appointment. And I drove down there with a wad full of money and I said, dress me. That's I'm a, awesome. I'm a lawyer. Please dress me. Yes. <laughs> and and they did. And it was fantastic. And I wish I'd done that at the very beginning. Except for your physiology just does change. It does change. Yeah. And bit, if they addressed so you early on, it would not have fit you now because you have I would have at least known what to have been looking for mm-hmm. a little bit better. Yeah. But, but the suit could be very expensive to Yeah. So don't do that change. right away. Yeah. Maybe. I've had that experience too where a bunch of my shirts don't fit 
Like I can't button the collars. My neck doesn't fit in them. And his my neck actually fit. My just back doesn't grew fit. in like the past three or four months, six maybe. But like it didn't happen the first whole year. He was still able to wear all the same shirts. Really until like a year Until like a year and a half in, he started saying, I can't wear this anymore. I can't button those shirts. Yeah. I was it, just it curious didn't take because, as long for me, I guess. Right. Well, I was just curious because you said that before you had only had three professional clothes, three right. three suits of clothes, and now you have... Now I have probably, I have, I think, six suits, maybe five. But what's nice about my office is it's fairly, we actually don't have to wear a suit every day if we don't want to. You only have to wear it when you're presenting or if, When you're something. going to court where you have a big client meeting or whatever, something like that. Otherwise, I mean, you can wear slacks and a sport coat and... You know, you don't even have to wear a tie or whatever. So that's kind of nice in a way. So I actually don't wear a suit every day just because my office is not super uptight that way, which is So which is I guess nice. the, the question then would not be how many suits do you own, but how many outfits of professional attire do you own? Three. Still three? <laughs> Still. <laughs> that's awesome. I've been meaning to bump it up to five, so I actually have like one forever, but it just hasn't happened. Of course it hasn't. We know you. No, I'm, I'm not a close <laughs> horse. I'm not. I mean, I like my suits a lot. I get a big kick out of... I actually do like that kind of clothes shopping now. Uh Imagine that, right? Of course you do. So that is kind of nice. And I mean, it's it's still kind of nice. Maybe it's because I don't have to wear a suit every day, but... When I have an argument or something, and you know, there's nothing like a suit that you've been measured for. I know, even like after our wedding, my suit that I wore to the wedding, I brought with us on the honeymoon. And so when we would have a nice dinner, I would wear it. And one of the photographers said that my suit was probably the best suit he had seen. Fitting. Yeah. yeah. And, and we were on a cruise, so we were there, you know, for... With a so lot of other people who were also wearing suits. From all over the place. But not just the yeah. best fit, but just the best suit. That, that, right. That's yeah. awesome. You that, have the best That suit. is awesome. Well, you mentioned how you had it special ordered to your measurements and all mm-hmm. of that. and Yes, which at the time, you know, there are certain suits that only dykes and black guys can get away with. <laughs> <laughs> And I hate to put it that way, but that's really it. Yeah. I never would have thought to put it that way, but since you did, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you have the colorful material or, right. you know, it's not well, a neutral. A, it's not a, a... No, it was neutral. It, it, it was, was a color to match your dress. It was a color to match my dress, but compliment. it was not yeah. a understated neutral. It's not a business. It's not a business suit. No, no, no it's not. No. It was mm-hmm. a Sunday go-to-meet suit. <laughs> <laughs> It's awesome. I'm sad it doesn't fit you anymore. I was wondering if you... I can get the pants on, but the jacket's too too tight. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway... I should give it to my cousin Vinny. Oh, you should. He would love that. She, they... They would love that. They would love that. Yes. They're genderqueer, so it's sort of a pick your pronoun. Yeah, that works. And they're not picky about it, you know. Hey, you did that wrong. So anyway, so then you did eventually decide on having lower surgery and what experiences did you have that sort of shifted your perception or your thinking on that process? I think one of the things that helped shift it a lot was at that point, by then I had been living as male full-time for a couple years. And because of that, then you start to have everyday bathroom problems of a different kind, which is that you can't just piss anywhere at any given time necessarily. Yep. And I had tried all kinds of different STP things, and none of them worked well enough or reliably enough that I was real comfortable using it. And so you get the situation where I'm a very outdoors person, Mm -hmm. and that actually is better in some ways because you're in the middle of freaking nowhere, and who cares what you do, right? Right. But sometimes I'm out there with a bunch of other guys, 
and you have to kind of be able to pee on a tree or I'm in another city in an airport or something like that and you're lucky to find a urinal, let alone a stall right. somewhere. And yep. so at some point, it just becomes a matter of necessity. And especially, you know, you've transitioned. So, you know, there's no going back bathroom wise. You've just got to find a way that you can go. And so it was becoming a problem is what it boiled down to is it was becoming a practical problem. Because mm-hmm. at first I was kind of just like cutting what, where? <laughs> no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when it started to become kind of a, a practical issue, that's when my feelings on it sort of started to shift. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what motivated it mostly. Right. So that's what I did. What kind of research did you do before you selected Dr. Crane? I read all the same stuff on the internet that everybody else read. Read a bunch of blogs, watched some YouTube videos. I mistakenly watched a YouTube video, not of him, but of somebody else doing a metoidioplasty. I consider myself to have a fairly strong stomach, but even that, I had to turn it off. I couldn't, I couldn't watch the, <laughs> the whole thing. Although it will explain why you're so swollen afterwards. So anyway, yes. it's a, it's not a gentle No, it's process. not. But I read the other reviews and things that people had to say about it. I looked at the pictures. The results looked very good and all of that. Trans bucket. Trans bucket. And what's the other one? I can't remember now. I don't know. I'm only familiar with trans bucket. And I read uh, Dade's blog, mm-hmm. which was extraordinarily helpful. He very... went to Dr. Crane too, right? Yes. Okay. And so I was very thankful for that and the experience that he shared. Yay, Dade. On that. Exactly. Yay, Dade. Thank you. And also... Uh, yeah. Not everybody can find Dade's blog in case they wanted to go looking for it. It was a... He had to approve you if you wanted to join his blog because it was private. It was for trans guys only. Right. So it wasn't out there altogether, but... Yeah. He, he wanted to help other trans guys who were thinking about getting lower surgery. But he wanted it to be only for trans guys and not he, Yeah. He didn't feel like having his junk out there for the world. Right. Right. So... So anyway. So not everybody can find that, but there are plenty of other sources, you know, people who are comfortable with making YouTube videos and so forth. And, and certainly you can get a lot of information even off of some of the surgeons' websites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Dr. Crane recently updated his website. Maybe there's more on there than there used to be because there mm-hmm. used to be really not that many pictures and stuff like that, actually. But that was a big reasoning behind it. I'd kind of seen some mixed reviews on some of the other surgeons, some of the results I didn't like as well. Cost and travel was a factor. Mm-hmm. At, at least at the time, Dr. Crane was kind of the new guy on the block, it seemed like. And you know, mm-hmm. some of the more established surgeons, my insurance doesn't cover any of this. So the fees are, one, astronomical, and two, straight out of pocket. So, yeah. And then on top of that, travel expenses and all of that, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not a minor undertaking. So... That Those were some of the factors that, that went into it. And I, I did have a pre-op appointment with Dr. Crane. I talked to him for, I think, like an hour and a half, mm-hmm. like a long time. He spent a lot of time going over options and things like that, which you know helped me feel a lot more comfortable about going with him as my surgeon. Right. So I ended up booking my surgery again like a year in advance. And a large part of that was I had to work around my work schedule. You, s- you knew a year in advance when you were going to have right. heavier workload because yeah. my work. you're a government employee. Yeah. And there, there are certain times that it's, it's always going to be more busy than other times, just given mm-hmm. the type of work that I do. And so I can work around that to a certain degree and it's no big deal. But that also gave me some time to really think about it decide, uh, make sure that this was the right thing to do. You're not the kind of guy who rushes into things. No, I'm not. As we said earlier, I'm, I'm planning my midlife crisis very <laughs> carefully. It's funny to me. <laughs> so uh. That finally rolled around and it was, uh, 
it was kind of funny how all that, despite all of that planning, it seemed like the week before or the couple of days before the surgery, like everything kind of went haywire because one of the things that we discovered is I still have my cervix, or I still did. Before. When you had your hysterectomy, they didn't take that. They didn't take it out, which I guess they normally do. And so we had to scramble to find a gynecologist <gasps> to take it out. And I had to go get blood work and all the pre-op and yada, yada, yada mm -hmm. with her. What made... How did Dr. Crane discover this then? I mean, what well, was part of the pre-surgery process? Ultrasound. Well, we had, uh, what it was is we were just, so I had my initial one I told you about, and that was way in advance. Mm -hmm. And then I met with him again you know, right before the surgery to kind of go over some final things. And we were talking and somehow it, it just came up when we were talking about, about it. I can't remember what triggered it. And I said, you know, I don't remember for sure, but it seems to me that when I had my hysterectomy, they... They called it a supracervical hysterectomy. And he was like, oh, well, we need to. So I had to go to the gynecologist and get checked to make, oh, yep, it's still there. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I'm sorry. And so, and all of this had happened within like four days. And meanwhile, this is traveling a substantial distance from home to have mm -hmm. all this done. So it was, it was a giant pain in the ass is what it was. Mm -hmm. And it seemed... Uh, you had to go to a gynecologist over there by Dr. Crane. Over there in, in the Bay Area. Was that uh, awkward? You know, it wasn't. It was actually fantastic. It was the first time I've ever been to a doctor's office like that and not felt weird about gender issues. So how how so? What was what made it fantastic? I just... I walked Hi, in... Hi, I'm a guy walking into the gynecologist. And there, that's totally normal. Yes. Or at least not weird, like it would be here. Like here, it would be like they'd throw you out. Or you think maybe that, call so the that police was, or something? It was more because this is an associate of Dr. Crane's, and so. yeah, he it was. She was a referral from him, and so so they, her particular office is familiar with your clientele. They're very familiar, and they knew I was coming. They were prepared for me in particular because they just got this referral. So I walked in and I said, "Hey, I'm so and so." And I was referred by Dr. Crane. They said, oh, right. Yeah, here's here's your stuff to fill out and blah, blah, blah. And, Perfect. You know, have a seat and we'll call you back when the doctor's ready. And it was no big deal. So that was that was actually, I have to say, they were they were very, very good. Awesome. That, that's good to hear because I'm supposed to go back at my age every three years. And I did talk to my gynecologist here mm -hmm. in town because I had started transitioning. And then I ended up going there a bunch of times because... With, because the hormone changes cause problems. They, yeah. Anyway. There were problems going on, and she was trying to help me solve them. So I actually got my own doctor one time and not one of her other doctors. Her and PAs I said, or whatever. Yeah. So okay. I said, hey, have you worked with any transgender folks? And, and she said, no, but that would be very interesting. Like, <laughs> Let's do like, it. Yeah. Yes, please. Let's do something different. Give me something yeah. new to yeah. fight yeah. my burnout. Thank you. So... Uh, <laughs> I said, okay, my research at that time indicated that most trans guys did have hysterectomies or aimed to have them if they could, mm -hmm. and that I didn't know if I'd need to do that or not, but she was very willing to work with me. However, I haven't needed to go, mm -hmm. and I will need to go. And I thought, is this going to be awkward for them? Because if you want, I will go with you, as many trans guys, female partners often do, so that you are walking back to the room together and nobody is questioning the fact that this woman and her husband are going they might, to the gynecologist. They might question that, but they won't question it as much as, what is that guy doing? <laughs> right. Right. I don't know that I'd feel too awkward about that, although I did think initially, I thought, well, I'll just bring my wife with me. It'll be fine. But I thought, well, I think I have to deal with the office staff more than anybody else. 
Yeah. Because typically when I've gone there, the waiting room is fairly empty. Mm-hmm. Of course, it probably won't be now. No. <laughs> no probably not. Yeah. No. So that's why I was wondering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I have to say, it was completely different than anything I've experienced here. Right. Like it was totally comfortable. And part of it might have been my own mindset was that I just need to get this done. Because yeah. I've got a limited amount of time and this all has to happen on a very short. Right. So there wasn't time to worry about it or get mm-hmm. all freaked out about it. But it is different here, unfortunately. We live in the middle of nowhere. It just is. And so I think it's it's not as bad here as it is in other places. Right. That's, that's for I sure. agree with so that. That's fair. I agree. Depending on how the office, because it's, like you said, it's kind of the front office staff. They look at you and they look at the record and they look at you and that's when problems start. Yes. It's when you're back with the doctor, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But it's when you're standing in the waiting room with the office staff doing weird things in front of all these other people that things can get weird. That might be a conversation to have on the phone when you schedule the appointment. I was thinking so, but but it probably would be better to bring you anyway, because if they do start to get all freaked out and weirded out, they could just talk to you, and, and is... that, that's calming to them, too. Mm-hmm. You're in the right place with the right voice. I... As long as you don't use your I... don't use I'll, coffee. I'll, 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 I'll use this voice, and, <laughs> and I'll talk to them, and I'll make sure to um, toss my shoulders back a little bit, and, and uh, yes, I'll, you, I'll you... fem it up a little, which... I am quite capable of femming it up on your behalf if need be. She's kind of freaking me out. (laughs) (laughs) You can't see what she's doing on the Yes, Yeah. Anyway, you did end up then, at that point, getting all of those last-minute details settled. So it got all settled. As as you guys know, the other thing that – this didn't throw a monkey wrench in anything necessarily, but I – just learned like two weeks before my surgery that our insurance was going to be changing to cover it in about six months. Yes. Thank you, Obamacare. It is no longer legal to exclude gender confirming surgeries. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, by that time, I had already paid my money, (laughs) threw my hat in the ring, and it was a substantial amount of money right out of pocket. Oh, yeah. And I'm very glad and fortunate that I'm able to do that. But I have to admit, I was extremely upset to learn that if that I'd missed it by about six months and I could have saved myself a boatload of money. So, I, I mean, I could have, I guess, canceled it. And I'd, actually, I couldn't have probably at that point because I had, they'd cashed the check. It was yeah, it was too close. They had your money. They weren't going to give it back. So, yeah. So that, that was... This is all irrelevant. It was just very upsetting right before the surgery. I I imagine. I imagine. Uh, So then the surgery itself was a long surgery, and I stayed in the area for, I think it was 10 days. Mm -hmm. And your mother had gone with you. My mother went with me. and Your mother's a nurse. She's a nurse, and she's been a nurse at a surgery center similar to, it's actually a much bigger surgery center than the one they have there for many years. And having a private nurse is kind of a fantastic Thing. Even if she is your mom taking care of your junk. And, you know, if anyone else... Hey, with I, enough drugs, you'll get past <laughs> it. Even though it's your mom taking care of your junk, I would rather, in some ways, this this oh, sounds terrible, rather have my mom take care of my junk than a total stranger, I guess. No, that totally makes sense. Being the type of introverted person who's calmly planning his midlife crisis, <laughs> I can see that the familiar is better deal. The familiar is better. Yeah. Oh, by far. And my mom also has this funny thing about liking to cook for people. And this is probably, probably why she's a nurse in the first place. And all this. Uh-huh. She likes to take care of people. Oh, she does. And especially when you're sick or whatever, part of that is cooking for you. Yeah. So my first meal after my surgery was this enormous pork shoulder steak. And you were and just coming out of anesthesia. It was, I, I'd been out for, were it, you was, still nauseous? it was one of the biggest meals I'd had like in a year. <laughs> yeah. 
and you know you have to take all this stuff to clean out your bowel and blah 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 before you do the surgery and so now <laughs> I just none of them is pork roast I filled it back up with pork roast and that took several days to work its way through <laughs> so again coming out of anesthesia that happens yeah it, it was we, I went through a lot of stool softeners a lot of yeah <laughs> Miralax yes I bet because things don't work right for a very long time and with the painkillers you uh, and, and you're yeah and then you don't want to bear down no you definitely <laughs> don't yeah so the much easier things are the much better it is in every right. respect and i was taking those painkillers like from all of my other surgeries i never used them all never got even close to using them all you're a I man was now, ordering, dude. i was ordering refills you are a time. man now dude oh, let me tell you my god it was <laughs> it, you didn't before because you didn't have all the testosterone in your system that made you a nothing pansy. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. 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 George will even admit it. it. It was, yeah, this was not pleasant. And I, so I pretty much laid in bed. I had all these grand plans that now that I wasn't working, working, work, 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 I'd have all this time that I could read books and write on those things. And, yeah. I pretty much just laid in bed and did nothing for <laughs> the first 10 days. Nice. And forget any idea of going to build my website. I was going to do this. I was going to just, yeah, right. So that was kind of unexpected. And, you know, overall, if I had one thing to say about the surgery, it's that the recovery is a lot longer than you think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. At least for me, it was I vastly underestimated what the true recovery time is because mm -hmm. you know you get this I, I think your mom's pork roast probably extended it by a day or two it I'm very sure it well did. could have <laughs> and it, and you don't know any better when you're coming out of surgery and you're on painkillers and you know after the anesthesia although your mother being a nurse should know better than to well pork, hey, here's a pork roast the size of your head eat it here's kind of the backstory of that and is <laughs> oh. so you know bless her heart that's kind of the way she is i borrow that from my southern friend yes bless her heart natural my southern friend says you can say anything bad about anybody you want as long as you proceed it with bless their heart. <laughs> so, so mom likes to take care of people and she cooks these enormous meals. So that wasn't just that meal. That was every meal while I was down was <sighs> this enormous. Where, where were thing. the leftovers going? To the neighbors? <laughs> what leftovers? I ate it all because you put it in front of me and I'll eat it. <laughs> he does. And, and you've got the muscle mass to support it. That's so, not fair. Except that I'm laying in bed doing nothing. Oh, and so, yeah. But Did my, your pants fit when you left? Well, pants? I wasn't wearing pants. I didn't wear pants for six weeks after that. <laughs> Fair. So I didn't have to worry about that. But my mom's goal, I had these goals to do all this stuff. My mom's goal was to lose 10 pounds when we were there. Uh -huh. uh, well, naturally, she gained weight while we were there because she was eating, eating the same things that she was cooking for me. So th there's a portion size problem in general. <laughs> going on. Well, in, in America in general, right. yes. But then when you're cooking for someone else, it's hard to make big, nice meals in small portions. Right. We'd love to hear from you. So let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. 
If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening! Tell us about your breakfast, just so I can get a sound level. My breakfast? Yes. I had a giant chocolate muffin from Costco. Giant chocolate muffin. It was fantastic. Oh, I like those giant muffins from Costco. George, tell me about your breakfast. I had toast and scrambled eggs and goat cheese. Goat cheese. I had uh, sourdough spelt bread toast. Sourdough spelt bread toast. Yes. Is that almost gone now? Do I need to get more sourdough spelt? No, there's half a loaf because I switched back and forth between the regular spelt and the sourdough. Okay. So we're going to say, hi, I'm Jess. He'll say, hi, I'm George. And you'll say, and I'm their lawyer friend. <laughs> and I'm the lawyer friend. <laughs> and we'll just continue she on. She just instructs us the whole time it'll work good. It, yeah. Okay. Okay. Gonna make a big clunk on the table. Though. If you are gonna clunk or something, then you just don't talk while you're clunking. Things. Yeah, okay. I, I can cut a section of time mm-hmm. while a noise is happening, but if, but if you're talking, talking at the same time, that talking will also have to get cut. Gotcha. Ha 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 ha!